As I began thinking about this, actually two weeks ago, um, because I was not with you last week, uh, I, I found myself a little astounded. Um, I, uh, how is it that on a night like this, on, on the night uh, where Jesus created this institution we know of the Lord's Supper, on the night in which he was betrayed, on such an important night that the, the disciples would struggle with, with who's the greatest, you know? And, and, I, and, I, and I struggled to wrap my brain around that. I mean, I've, I've known people like that. You've known people like that, that, that just thought that they were God's gift to the world, right? You remember that amazing story of Muhammad Ali? You remember that? He's on the airplane, right? And, and, and he won't put his seatbelt on, on the airplane. And, and the, uh, the stewardess says, sir, you've got to put your seatbelt on for the plane to leave. And he says, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Right? <laughs> and, and Muhammad Ali was famous for, what was his famous line? I am the greatest, right? Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she said, well, Superman don't need no airplane either. Right? <laughs> um, I found myself as I wrestled with that, as I wrestled with, with um, how could they struggle over this? I, it came to me in a vision because I struggle with the same thing, right? I've cleaned it up. I've Christianized and everything like that. But I struggle with the same thing. I struggle with putting myself first. And if there was any doubt in my mind, then driving for nine hours was, was for me, a, a wake-up call. Yeah. I could, I could sense, we were laughing about this in the Sunday school, I could sense when a car was going to get in front of me and was going to cut me off, right? And so, I did, <laughs> I know I'm a mess, I can't help myself, right? So, so I'd speed up a little bit, right? And, uh, and slide in there, kind of put my arm on the edge of the thing, you know? Where does that come from? Where does that come from? And, 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 if you have grandchildren or small children, you know exactly where it comes from, right? It's we're hardwired for this. We are hardwired to put ourselves first, and so we come today to this this topic. We've been talking together about uh, uh, what does it mean to be community, and, and today our topic is a, a community of Christ is a community who serves, who serves, and and this this one thought. If you get nothing else from today, I want you to just remember this one thought. According to Jesus, according to however you understand Him to be, the greatest in God's eyes. In God's sight are those who humbly serve, who humbly serve, right? Uh, the greatest in God's sight are those who humbly serve. Well, if we're going to somehow wrap our brains around that, we have to do a little bit of homework here and say, well, what is this? What is, what is service? And I was laughing at you this morning. Kristen just absolutely nailed it in the Sunday school class. To serve is to put another's needs before your own, right? It's that simple. It's that simple. And if you think about it, in almost every situation you find yourself, especially where you're tempted to put yourself forward, if you just think for a second, what would it look like to put someone else's needs in front of mine? Then, then, then it comes to you and you recognize that's an just amazing gift of God, right? But, but in our, in our myriad passages today, in Isaiah, in in Philippians that we're going to go to in a minute, in John chapter 13, where Jesus washes the disciples' feet, in the Psalms, in Luke 22, over and over again, um, God speaks to us about not only what what is service, but what the purpose of it is. And, 
and how we can surrender our lives to the kind of service that Jesus desires. So service is to put one another's needs before our own. But, but we saw in that passage in Isaiah, right, that there is a purpose for this. Now, this is going to sound like a tangent, but I just want to say that, that, um, that nothing in God's Word is a tangent. It's one universal whole, one invitation to know Him and to live out the, the life of service together. The purpose of service in the passage that Tom read for us is, is to bring forth justice to the nations, right? To bring forth justice to the nations. We couldn't see it in our, in our brief encounter with that scripture, but he spends the whole previous chapter setting up a law court and having all the nations stand before him and finding none of the nations that were bringing justice what is right, doing what is right, bringing justice to the other nations. And, and so you almost feel this sense of, of uh, uh, desperate helplessness. Is there no one, is there no one that, that will bring forth justice? I know some of you have felt that this last week, right? I artfully dodged this last week and was in a cloistered retreat center while all that shenanigans was going on politically, right? Um, and, and people on both sides are crying out, who will bring justice, right? And all of Isaiah 41 says, there's not really any humans out there that are going to be able to do this. If your hope is in humans, not going to work. Not going to work, right? But then he says, but looky here. <laughs> and that's that behold word, right? Looky here. Look at my servant. And in this amazing thing, 800 years before the time of Christ, God again describes to a T the Messiah that would come. By the way, um, though it's not in our Hebrew Bibles and it was not even in their Hebrew Bibles, even to this day, when uh, uh, the Jewish uh, synagogue reads that passage, they say, Behold my servant, the Messiah. They understood completely that the servant they're talking about is the Messiah. But I want to charge you that if, if, if Jesus is the uh, servant that God is speaking of, we who have Jesus in us are invited to that life of servanthood as well, right? So I wanted to say right up front, the purpose of this is not ourselves. The purpose is not even the glory of the person we serve. The purpose is to honor the nature and character of God by bringing what is right to the world. By bringing what is right, by bringing justice to the nations. If that's true, and God has entrusted this task to his servant, the Messiah, Jesus, and Jesus has entrusted, we saw in the Luke passage, this this. Uh, charge to us, the greatest among you will be as the youngest. The youngest had no status, will be as, as the least among them. The greatest among you will be as a slave, a bondservant, um, one who serves. Then, then, then what is the enemy of this call in our life? And, and, and I can say very simply, the enemy is just us, self, right? The, enemy of selflessness, right? You can hear it in the, in the term, is self. 
talking about Jesus later. Isaiah is looking 800 years into the future when Jesus will come. The Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians looks back now, 30 years later, looks back on the life of Jesus. And he calls us in, in Philippians, have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, right? Who, though he was God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, right? But in, in chapter 2, verse 7, he says, but emptied himself. But emptied himself. Do you hear that? Emptied himself of self. And, and served. Emptied himself. Um, the enemy to this idea of serving in the way that God invites us to is ourselves. The self reveals itself over and over again. For me, it reveals itself when I'm driving. Honestly, it reveals itself all the time. When I feel slighted, when I feel um, um, put in a different position, something within me, after 40 years of walking with Jesus, something within me still kind of rallies and says, you've got to defend yourself, right? I want to suggest to you it shows, your, shows itself in several places. You're not going to like me for this. I don't like me for this. Okay, so join the club. Um, it shows itself in pride. In pride, right? And, and I know that we... Our culture says pride is very important. Take pride in yourself. We say it all the time, right? Um, but, but, but pride, the, the Bible understands pride as the enemy of selflessness because pride in its very nature puts itself in others' place. We sing, um, you ought to be proud of who you are. When the hymn writer says, I pour contempt on all my pride, Right? I've come to that place where I discover that pride's the enemy of Christ in me. I'm going to go further and really make you mad and say that, that our culture celebrates self-esteem and says, you know, we, you need to spend your life working on your self-esteem. And some of you guys are getting mad at me right now, right? But until 1970, nobody said that. Until 1970, everybody understood that it was God-esteem that was important. And that if you put God in His rightful place, then you understand your place, right? And, and it sounds like your place, like it's a nasty place. It's a beautiful place. Thank you for worship, worship team. God, you are beautiful, right? It's nothing, and, and, and your Bible translates that it's nothing too hard for you, but it's actually the word beautiful. It's nothing too beautiful for you, God. If you put God in His rightful place then you'll understand the beauty of your place in Him too. You don't have to worry about self-esteem. Think about Him. And find your worth in Him. In God's esteem. Some of you are still struggling with that. I, I understand that. It's, it's contrary to the gospel of our current world. It does not mean that you don't love yourself. We explored that in depth a few weeks ago. When we looked at the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as, right, right? So um, it's just saying this, a simple matter of priority, the only way to genuinely see yourself. And the beautiful way that God sees you is to put God in his rightful place. God esteem, not self-esteem. A particular vulnerability I have, as you saw with the driving incident, is is competitiveness, that there has to be a winner and there has to be a loser, right? Who said that, right? Who ever said that there has to be? And so 
So you'll have sports teams that, that work a whole season, and they have an amazing season. They, they work together as a team. They, they discover new skills. It's an awesome kind of thing, and they come in second at the end of the, at the, end of the year, and they're a failure, right? And they're a failure. Um, our culture is built, and, and it, it economically is really good, and there's aspects of, of, of competition that can be good. But boy, put me on a racquetball court, and I'm merciless. I discovered she's here, so don't I have to be very careful. I had to look and see if my bride was here. I discovered that there's no mercy on me in the shuffleboard court either. <laughs> she had she had one. Uh, you know we're getting old. We're playing shuffleboard, right? <laughs> but it's fun. In the basement of the retreat center, there was this old shuffleboard thing on the floor. Remember that we used to have one here, and 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 she got a ten. She got a 10. And you would think that the loving husband would say, that is so cool, honey. And and no. The loving husband went wham and went after it, right? The problem for my wife is that she can't stop playing until she wins. And so so our competitive runs off. But did that lift her up? Did that make her feel blessed? No, not likely. Um, The enemy... Itself and itself exerts itself in pride, in self-esteem, and in competitiveness. And Jesus points out too in he used the word lording it over someone to somehow elevate ourselves by putting someone else down. It happens in humor sometimes. It's funny, right? But it subtly puts someone else down. It happens in office politics. It happens in, in, in church politics. It happens anytime you have three people together, maybe two, um, that, that we find ourselves vulnerable to elevating ourselves by putting someone else down. Jesus says it shouldn't be that way with you. Instead, the, the, you, should, you should descend into greatness, right? You should intentionally choose to make yourself less, right? Will there be people that take advantage of you? Absolutely. Absolutely. That's, that's not a question. That, that's a reality, right? But, but Jesus is saying you will find life. The great enemy of service is self. And that, that's true. What's the great example of service? Well, you've already heard it, haven't you? Jesus. Jesus Christ. He emptied himself, Paul tells us again, taking the form of a human and being found in human likeness, he humbled himself even to the port of death, right? He himself took the form of a servant and served. Now, I don't know if you can wrap your brain around this, but imagine for a second, we were way out, we were way out, um, 20 miles out of Muskegon in the middle of nowhere. And there's a lake there and and so there's nothing near us, no lights near us. And if you looked up in the night sky, you could literally see billions of stars, right? Billions of stars. And, and, and we learned uh, this week, again, that, that each of those stars is probably a galaxy that has billions of stars, right? Um, that, that untold trillion, billions of trillions, literally, of galaxies are are all there and they were formed by Jesus' hand. Right? 
beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. All things were made by Him, right? They were formed by Jesus' hand. The, the Creator of all of that we could see. We could see the Milky Way. It's so rare to see it here in Evansville, but we can see it up there. The Creator of all those things humbled Himself and, and served and served. Jesus is this great example. If he could lay aside all of that glory and, and, and instead humbly serve, maybe, just maybe, we who are called by his name could do that as well. So is there, is there some secret to this? I hesitate to say those words because it sounds like a shortcut. It sounds like is there some shortcut to becoming the kind of servant that uh, God could use um, I just want to give you a couple of thoughts. Um, probably at that very moment when Jesus said, the greatest of you must become your servant, that probably is the time, because we're correlating John and Luke, that he took off his outer garments, wrapped, intentionally dressed himself as a slave, and washed the disciples' feet, the very thing that all of them had been thinking about, and none of them were willing to do. You ever find yourself in a, in a restaurant and you, you're thinking, I've just handled this gnarly uh, menu and um, I shook hands with people coming in here and I'm about to use that hand to eat fried chicken, right? And, and, um, and you're thinking, I think I would like to go wash my hands, right? Um, they had to be thinking the same thing. They were walking through mule droppings, right, you know, on the way over there. Um, their culture was very different. The first thing you did when you got together was wash you had a servant wash your feet, right? And, but there was no servants there. There was only Jesus and the 12 apostles, right? And so they're all kind of looking at each other. And they're feeling that same sense of grunginess. And they're saying, uh, who's going to do this, right? I'm not going to do it. The next guy says, I'm not going to do it, right? I'm not going to do it. And Jesus just lets that tension cook. He lets it go, and then and finally he gets up and does what nobody else was willing to do. He gets up. What enabled him, the creator of the universe, to do that? John tells us in John 13, 3 and 4, he says, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper, laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. If we're going to be servants, then we've got to know where we came from. We've got to be able to understand that that same creator of the universe created us. And, and, and he created us beautiful and for a purpose, right? We came from Jesus. Jesus created us. Know where you come from. And then I'm going to jump to see for a second here, but, but you also have to know where you're going. We're going to go back to Jesus, and that's both a joy and a delight, but it's also a little bit of an accountability question, right? One day we're going to stand before Jesus, and he's going to say, uh, so how did you do? Yeah, right? Um, and it's not going to be in the sense of condemnation. We've explored that myriad times. It's, it's going to be in the sense of, of celebration. I don't know about you, but when I stand before Jesus, I want to be able to say, uh, I was a really slow learner, Jesus, but, but I got it. And in my own broken way, I tried to emulate you to uh, the world around me. We know where we came from, but we also know where we're going. We're going to one day stand before him and beautiful. We're going to be like him when we do. 
We know where we're going. But how about, how about in this middle place? And I loved Isaiah for this. And you're not going to have a chance to wrap your brain around this. So I just invite you to note, again, from our bulletin, Isaiah 42. Um, God is going to speak to you words of life. But let me just give you a hint of it before we come to the Lord's table. God's going to speak to you as you, in your own personal study, go back into Isaiah 42. Um, you need to know how and where you stand, right? You know where you came from, know where you're going, but you got to know where you stand right now. And here's what Isaiah, excuse me, what God tells us through his servant, Isaiah. You are chosen of the Lord. I didn't include it there, but if you get on further in Isaiah 42, he calls us, but then he, out of the people that were called, you did not choose me, Jesus said, but I chose you. He chooses his disciples, his followers. You've got you to gotta understand where you stand right now. The God of the universe has chosen you. <laughs> what were you thinking? Right? He was thinking, this one is worthy. This one is mine. The God of the universe chose you as his own. But it says he didn't just choose you and then say, I hope this works out. He actually upholds you moment by moment. Some of us are depending on that right this second, right? He upholds you moment by moment. Uh, this picture of the God who created you also holy and saying, it's okay, I got you. I got you. I'm not going to let go. I refuse to let go. He upholds us moment by moment, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, right? And, and, and this astounding insight, God says, you are my delight. I, I not only choose you and uphold you, but I delight in you. Come on, God, are you blind? Are you bl- Can you not see me for how, who and how I really am? He sees you exactly for how you are. But you're not the sum total of your actions. You're not the sum total of what you've done or not done, what you've said or not said, or what's been done to you. That's not who you are. You are a precious child of God. And He delights in you. And it's someday you've got to come face to face with that reality that you bring delight to the heart of God. Does it mean that you're sinless? Oh, absolutely not. Uh, does it mean you don't grieve him? Oh, absolutely not. We do those things all the time. But as we're slowly, ever so slowly discovering love overlooks a multitude of sins, right? Love covers literally a multitude of sins and he loves you and delights in you and gave you a gift for this in-between time, this time when we stand not yet seeing the full fruit of everything we believe, this gift was His Holy Spirit. Behold, my servant, whom I have chosen, whom I delight in, I will put my spirit upon her. I will put my spirit upon him. Yes, he's talking initially about the Messiah, but he's also talking about everyone who chooses to live like the Messiah, everyone who chooses to put other people in front of themselves, everyone who chooses to serve God. You are his servant. And he empowers you by the living presence of God within you, by his Holy Spirit. So I just want to invite you. I know, I know that 
there's still a war raging within you of the old person and the new person. That will happen until Jesus says to you, be glorified. Um, But there is a way. God has made a way for you in the midst of that. And that is for you to intentionally put others in front of yourselves. Those of you in the in the three different studies that are using the the uh, book on the good beautiful community, they, they, he challenges us this week to put our own family members in front of us. He challenges us to put our our uh, co-workers in front of us. He challenges us to put others in front. And I just want to invite you. It sounds like you would have to sacrifice or let go of something, but everything that you would have to let go of is immediately replaced by the presence of something much greater, something much much more beautiful. Everything that you would let go of is replaced by the presence of Jesus. Pray with me, would you? God, I, I recognize that I've spent a lot of my life building something that from the world's perspective might um, might position me um, in a good place. Uh, not, not the greatest in the world, not the least in the world, but in a good place. And yet I hear today, God, you're inviting me to let you gently and beautifully break everything that I have made, everything that I put my trust in, everything that I've become so that you can reform me. And, and conform me to the image of your Son. And, and God, the, the anticipation of brokenness is, is not inviting to me. I'm so grateful that there is one that went before me. There's one who, who saw exactly what brokenness would be like and chose it, though it was not his will. He chose it because it was your will. And as a result, you gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he's Lord. It's the glory of God the Father. Oh, God, help me to make a courageous choice to be like Jesus today. I know, I know, God, just by having this conversation with you, that you're going to put me in a place where I'm going to have to make that choice. I'm going to believe, God, that every time I make that choice, it becomes easier to make it again. So I pray that you would make us as a congregation, a serving community. And I'm so grateful, God, for, for the, the servant-hearted community that, that I inherited when I came to this place. But I know that you're not done yet, God. I know that you're still pressing on, going further and higher and inviting us more to reflect the image of Jesus. So I just ask that you help us to become a serving community. I hope that you, I pray that you help each of us to become a servant-hearted follower of Jesus. And God, I know if that's true, then, then um, people won't, see us as hypocrites. People won't see us as self-serving. They won't be tempted to put all those labels on because they would not have seen us at all. They would have seen you instead. So Jesus, invite us, would you, to come to you right now. Take this simple bread and this simple cup and make them a holy moment the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Fill them 
with your spiritual presence so that, God, as we partake of them, we actually receive the grace that we need to fulfill what you've asked us to do. And then, God, I pray that you would send us out into the world to love and to serve until that day when you come and make all things new and make all things beautiful. Oh, we love you. And thank you for this precious gift. In Christ's name, amen. Will our servers please come forward? On the night, this night that we've been talking about all day today, the night that Jesus was betrayed, when everything else went wrong, Jesus invited us to his table. You're all right. You're all right. Um, He invited us to this table and he took bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus invites you to partake of his grace. Symbolically here, through the partaking of this sacrament, of God will allow, come to the table of the Lord.